So if you take your Bibles, we're headed to Matthew 6 is where we want to start. But I'm going to put a lot of verses up here on the wall. And this is a very general topic about prayer. Remember now, we're learning it so that we can teach somebody else. So we're asking some very basic questions. Last week I asked you, what is prayer? And combining some of your answers, here's what we just, we just came up with, several of these conclusions. It's a form of worship, communication to, and communion with God, as some of you said, talking to God about what's important to Him and what's important to us. It's utterances of dependence, saying, Lord, I really need you. And then we said, and through a series of those booklets and questions, why should we pray? We just summarize a bunch of those answers. This tells us we need to pray regularly because it's commanded. This verse tells us that we pray regularly because God answers our prayers. We uh, said in 1 Samuel, where Samuel says, as for me, God forbid that I should cease in praying to pray for you. We, We realize we need to pray for one another or it would be sin. And again, we may comment. That's the duty of a priest. And since we're born again, we are priests. We draw nigh to God. He draws nigh to us. So we do it, become closer to God. We said another reason why we pray is because it'll bring about some physical results and healings. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace. Uh, And the rest of the passage talks about in our trials and in our troubles. Uh, We pray because it gives us the peace of God Okay, that passes all understanding so we can overcome worry. We get a calmness of the spirit. We pray because God gives all kinds of provisions when we pray. He says that he will answer it. And if we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it'll be open. So we give all these answers why we pray. But we we, we really focused most of our time last week on why can we pray? Why do we pray uh, is what we just did. But why can we pray? What allows us to come in prayer? And this is very important from a Bible point of view. We are not allowed to come to pray because we are good people. True? Okay, we're not allowed to come to pray because we go to a church. We're not allowed to come and pray because we're Americans. Okay? We are allowed to come to pray because Jesus Christ, it's not us at all. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, one of the things Jesus said that we're supposed to do is pray in his name. And so we talked about this. I'm going to summarize and give you just uh, four different words that might help you out in keeping this in mind. When we pray in Jesus' name, what does that mean? It means this, that uh, he's made it possible for us to pray. So in his name means I recognize He provided the opportunity for me to pray. I cannot come before the Lord in and of myself because I'm a sinful creature. By the way, so are you. Okay, we cannot come because of our goodness to come before God Almighty. We can only come before God Almighty because Jesus Christ's blood has covered our sins so we can come and talk to God. And remember at the death of Jesus Christ, what happened to that temple veil that separated that it rent in two. Nobody could go inside there. Anybody who walked inside there, any common Joe who walked inside that Holy of Holies, what would happen to him otherwise? They'd be killed. And so when Jesus died on the cross, while he was dying, literally, that veil rent in two to show that now we can come before God Almighty because of Jesus Christ. So he makes the provision for us to pray. He gives us an invitation to pray. So when I'm praying in Jesus' name, it's as if Jesus is saying, here, 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 come with me, come with me, you can talk to the Father. Okay, that's what we're recognizing. We're recognizing it's by his invitation that we're allowed to pray. 
because he made it possible. He invites us to. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying the way he prayed. Okay? The way you want me to pray, the way you prayed yourself. Remember in the garden, thy will be done. Okay? So we're, we're recognizing in Jesus' name there's an act of submission. And we're recognizing when we pray in Jesus' name that this is all about glorifying him, not glorifying us. It's not about us getting what we want, but us getting what he wants for us. Okay, so when we talk about in Jesus' name, all four of these concepts are involved in this idea of praying in the name of Jesus. So if you're explaining it to somebody, I think if we give it some alliteration like we did, that helps them to understand that our prayer is all on the grounds and the basis of Jesus Christ, not because we give money, not because we belong to a denomination, which we don't, not because we dress a certain way, not because we have a family name. It's because of Jesus Christ that makes it possible. It's all about Jesus Christ. And we summarized that last week with this, just saying, okay, that Jesus makes it so possible and such a privilege. And so it's all about Jesus. Um, Let's go a step further. Okay, when we pray, we have to come in Jesus' name. Um, By the way, can I throw this out to you? Can I pray a prayer? Does every time I pray, do I need to end the prayer with the phrase, in Jesus' name? No, but do I need to have the concepts? Yeah, okay, those four concepts. Okay, so let's talk about the conditions of prayer. Are there any other conditions given in Scripture whereby God will answer my prayers? He said, he said, ask and it shall be, seek, knock. Okay, is, is that a blanket check signed by God that Anything I want at any time, I get. No, okay, so you're going to say that some of our answers to prayer, there's some conditions that may say, that may lead God to say, no, I'm not answering. Okay? So let's talk about what are those possibilities, the conditions for prayer, such as this one. Okay? What is the condition in this verse? When we come to prayer, what does this verse tell you? We must do or must not do. Okay, we've got to confess sin. We've got to confess sin. That's clear. So if this is true. Hiding or harboring unconfessed sin hinders my prayer. Right? Okay, we're, we're going to say that's true. So what does that mean I should do? Therefore, it teaches me that I need to live a holy life. Okay? I need to live a life that's yielded to the Lord, not in rebellion. And when I do sin... I need to confess it ASAP. Okay? Is that fair, fair from that verse? Clear, clear as crystal for you, right? Okay, let's jump to another one. What's in this verse? There's several things in this verse. Conditions for requirements, let's ask, for getting answers to prayer. Can you see anything in there that we should be doing? Okay, we want to have a humble spirit. What else? Okay, we got to pray. I, this, I'm not trying to be silly, but is, is there the possibility we talk a lot about prayer and, and don't pray? Okay. So we got to actually pray. Okay. Okay. We're really, we're going after the Lord and not just, we're, we're going with sincerity. Anything else? 
Okay, turn from the... So we humble ourselves, we actually pray, we desire God's fellowship, and we repent of any sins. Those are conditions, requirements in this one text that are pretty clear. Okay, and if you're doing a Bible study with a young Christian, you're saying, what does this verse say? Pretty clear. Okay, let's do another verse that's in your book. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What requirements or requirement is here? Proper relationships. Thanks, Andy. There, here we go. You need to be right with other believers. Okay, that seems as clear as crystal again. Okay, and even, and in, in we have to add this, if your brother has ought against you, so even if you know somebody has a problem with you, you've got to work at that relationship. Okay, you have to make an effort or you're hindering your prayers. Uh, can I throw this out? What happens if Le- I find out Leon has an issue with me, I go to him and I try to reconcile, but he refuses. Can I go back to prayer? I can because it's really not on me. I made a genuine effort. Okay, so... Uh, even if they have a problem, you need to deal with the offense, not just forget about it. And aren't we good at forgetting about conflicts we create? Okay? And so we can't do that. We need to make every effort immediately. And, and what really strikes me in this whole text where Jesus is preaching this in Matthew 5, he, uh, where is the altar located? At this time, where is the altar located? Jerusalem. Where, what group of people is Jesus talking to? People who are up in, Jews who are up in the Galilean region. So he says, if you go all the way down to Jerusalem, which is a week-long trip, and you're down there, and remember you have a problem before you continue to worship, you've got to go back. Is that a lot of hassle for people? So he's telling us, if we've got a problem, take the hassle and get it corrected. Okay, that's important. Let's go a little bit further. Likewise, you hubbies, dwell with them. Who's the them? Okay, your wife. Okay. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So we would conclude that if I want to I shortchange my prayer life and hinder my prayers, what, do, what can I do? How do I, how do I disrupt my prayer life? I'm not, if I'm not walking in a good communion with Deb, then my prayer life is hindered. Okay? Now, wives, don't just say, yep, it's, it's the husband. It's the husband. Okay? It's only for him. I'm going to make the application that could it go the other way too? Okay, now that's not what's specifically stated. What's illustrated is family relationships affect our prayer relationship. Okay, and so what we have is you need to be right with your spouse. Okay? You need to treat them properly. Now, that says to us hubbies, it says we must give honor, we must treat them according to knowledge, and those, you can unpack those in another Bible study. But that's a lot of material. It's not just being in the same house and not having a fight. It's being in the same house and treating her right. Is there a difference? Can people coexist and not get along? Yeah, okay, so it's the idea of developing that relationship. Here's another one, okay? 
He says in this passage, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask we receive, because we keep his commandments and do those things. So the requirements would be, one, having a clear conscience before God. Okay, our heart not condemning us. Not, uh, with that in mind, we need to make sure that we have, we're assured we're right with God. I guess those two can go together. Kind of redundant. Need to pray with faith. Okay, that a whole idea of whatsoever you ask. Okay, that we're, we're asking with confidence in God. And we need to keep his commandments. So he's given us several different conditions there. Okay, coming before him, clean heart, confidence in prayer, and we're keeping his requirements, and living in a way that, pleasing, that is pleasing in his sight. Okay? So, several different conditions or requirements for answers prayer. And you're teaching this in a Bible study. You're helping somebody learn this, that this is important. And then you take them to the next passage. Let's see if I can get this right. Okay? This, I think this is our, one of our last verses. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. What do you see? What's the condition requirements to receive answers to prayer? All of you are right. Okay. Need to pray. Need to be living close to Christ. That's the idea of abiding close fellowship. And the word of God needs to be part of your thoughts. Okay. It's dwelling in you as well. So we have all these different requirements, and you and I say, let's, let's, if we're doing the Bible study, and uh, I'm a young Christian, and I say to you, boy, that seems impossible, what would you tell me? No, no, it's not. I mean, is it really that hard to be right with God? Yes, no? Is it that hard to confess sin? No, yes? Okay. Is it really impossible to confess sin? No, I mean, how quickly can you confess sin? Yeah, you can do it. Is it really that hard to have a clean conscience before God? No, no. Is it really that hard <laughs> to get along with other people? Okay, that, can that be somewhat difficult at times? But can it be done? Yeah, he really can. So all these things are not impossible. And so uh, I guess that's the same one that we have. Okay, let me, let me move on. Okay. Oh, I know what I was wanted to ask. Oops, sorry. There was something else I wanted to ask out of that. Uh, I don't remember. Okay, let's move on. How would you explain asking according to his will? That's the phrase I was looking for. That, um, there it is. Uh, if we ask anything according to his will. There it is in the second line. What does that phrase mean, asking according to his will? We have to know the scripture to know. Okay, we need, okay. We need to know the Bible is to know his will. Anything else? Okay, okay. So whatever glorifies God. Any, any other thoughts? Okay, okay. Okay, what's best? Okay, it means this, right? We never ask for something contrary to the will of God. True? Okay, so we can never ask God to help us get a job that would require us to be lying and cheating. Right? Lord, I really, really want that job. But that job involves me being unethical. That would be going against the will of God. Yes? yes. Okay. Um, 
we should never ask him to bless an act of sin. Okay? Lord, please help me to cheat Leon. Okay? I, I, and don't let him catch on that I am overcharging him. Okay? You're the man. You're getting it this morning. You sat right at the edge. Okay? That'll teach you to sit there. Okay? Not ask for something contrary to God's leading in your life. So if you know God is leading a certain direction, you can't be saying, God, you know, stop, stop, stop. It would be asking for him to grant requests only if he yields, uh, wills it. Totally yieldedness. Asking him to grant a request in his timing. That would be according to his will. Never asking for something for your own glory or gain alone. So Lord, please, I, I would like to be able to have a retirement plan. Is there anything wrong with that? No. So, uh, Lord, I want a retirement plan so that I can just go and do whatever I want for the remainder of my life. I've served you long enough. Now, that would be contrary to his will. Okay. So, uh, those are the types of things. You've got to think through and explain that to somebody. Here's a passage that says, okay, one, just simple requirements, which you can read. The requirements are when we come to prayer, what do we have to have? Faith, okay. Faith in what? Okay, yeah. What does this passage tell you that you have to have faith in God in what ways? That he is? He's a rewarder, okay. So we have to believe that God is. We have to believe that, he, that God will reward We've got to play, pray that, and when we pray, we've got to believe that God can be known, those who diligently seek him. So do some people question whether God is? Do some people question God's rewards? Yes, they do. Do some people question whether we can really get to know God? Yeah, yeah. And so he's writing and saying, okay, this is what faith is about. Believing God is, he'll reward, and he can be known. So very, very, very important. Okay, we're in Matthew, and he's talking in this passage, and this is a famous passage. Okay, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do uh, this which is done to the fig tree, he had cursed it and died overnight, but also you shall say unto a mountain, be removed, and it shall be cast into the sea, and it shall be done. There are many who grab this verse, and they run with this verse, to say that you should ask God to do impossible things. Okay? I mean, literally impossible things. Like, tree, fall over. Oh, I got one. Okay. House, be painted. Okay? <laughs> okay, I have a tree that I think is, my neighbor's tree is starting to threaten my place. Tree, cut down yourself. Okay. Um, we have to remember that what, what this passage talks about is we need to pray personally. We need to have faith when we pray. But remember that what he's talking about when he says, say unto that mountain, be moved. It is a, it is a very common Jewish metaphor. It was an illustration that Jesus alone didn't use it. A lot of the Pharisees used it. And they used it to just describe anything that seemingly was a big, big, impossible seemingly t seeming task. Not something that is absolutely absurd. I'll give you absurd. 
Jesus is on the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple, and Satan says, cast yourself down and the angels will pick you up. Is that true that the angels could minister to Jesus that way? Okay, but what was Jesus' response? You shall not tempt the Lord thy God. With what? What does he mean by that? With being presumptuous and doing, you know, okay, God, today this is the way it works. I'm going to charge everything I can, max out my credit card, and it'll be okay because you said you, you, you'll provide my every... Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this anymore. Okay, jump off into debt and God's going to take care of me. That's presumptuous. That's tempting the Lord God, doing something foolish. And that's not what this verse is promoting. This verse is saying, okay, are there, are there difficult tasks? Are there things that are really overwhelming? We can pray about them, but within his will at all times. And again, ask without faith. He said if somebody is praying... Without faith, what does he tell that person? So you're doing a Bible study. You say, hey, listen, you've got to believe. You've got to believe that the Lord is caring, but in his time, and he'll do what best. If you don't believe, don't expect that God's going to answer your prayers. Because he tells you very clearly, I'm not going to answer prayers of somebody who is unstable like the waves, who's fickle, who's this week, they trust me, and then they don't. Trust me not. You know, like picking the petals off the flowers. I trust him, I trust him not. I trust him, I trust him not. And so he's very clear on that, that concept. So we go on, we say, okay, here we go. He's talking about the frequency of prayer. When you're explaining a, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're explaining a passage, you not only need to explain the concept, but sometimes you better explain the words. This passage, I think, throws a lot of people, Okay. Uh, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is a friend. This is the story that Jesus is giving, that a man has got him family and his kids that are all in bed. Remember in Bible days, you slept basically in one big room. So everybody's sleeping in the same room. And so the dad doesn't want to get up. If he gets up to answer the door where his neighbor's knocking, it's going to wake up the entire family. So he just calls out and says, leave us alone, we're sleeping. And the neighbor keeps on knocking, 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 knocking. And the result, Jesus says, is because he is his friend, not because he's his friend, but because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs, many as much food. I don't think most of you use this term on a daily basis. Yeah. I, you know, my importunity. I don't think I've ever heard any of you use it ever. Okay. What's it mean? Okay, the word literally, okay, the word literally is this idea. It's shameless persistence. In the original language, it's the idea of somebody who is just shameless in being persistent. Almost as if they didn't know better, okay? But they're just, you know, they're just, they're not following normal protocol, but they're just insistent, insistent because of that whole idea. So the point of the storyteller is this. And, and this is where people take some of the parables and they make a mistake. They say, oh, what this story is telling me is that God doesn't want to answer my prayers unless I'm going to keep on bothering him. Is that what he's getting at? Not at all. Not at all. This is a method of teaching. What Jesus did is he used a lesser example. A lesser example of one 
willing to answer because of persistence. The man who was in bed, comfortable, he didn't want to, but he got up and he went to answer the door because there was persistence. This lesser example is being used to point out that God is more willing, our persistence is going to pay off because God is not like this man where he's hesitant. God is really willing to answer prayers that are prayed in his name, according to his will, according to his time. And so the, the story is not trying, don't take every part of the story and, and equate it. Get the main lesson. The main lesson is persistent pays off because God is willing to answer. So we move on and we say, okay, the frequency of prayer. You have this in your notes. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. What does it mean to continuing instant? What's that phrase mean? What's that? Always praying. What did you say? Always? Okay. The word is a singular word. Okay? And it shows up very rarely, but it's one word. It has the idea of being really busy with something. Um, Mary and Martha. Do you remember the story? Okay. The two sisters? Yes? No? Okay. What was the one really, really busy doing? For Jesus. Working in the kitchen, busy in the kitchen, getting food ready. What was the other one busy doing? Okay, sitting at Jesus' feet. Okay, and so this is the idea of like Martha, that she was busily engaged, actively devoted to getting the food prepped. He says, okay, when it comes to prayer, we should have that same type of hustle and bustle around the kitchen. Okay, when you're really getting everything ready, you're really focused on it, and you're busy, 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 busy. That's what he's saying in prayer, is that continuing instant literally means be busy fervently in prayer. So we come with the idea that there's an urgency and there's a constancy, that we're really focused. So if I'm continuing instant, this is not, and this is what I do, this isn't what I should do. So I'm taking my prayer list and I'm starting to pray. And this isn't anything, this is what I do, this, you guys would never do this. So, Lord, help Jean Weber with the death of her husband. Help Sally Keeney with the death of her husband. Help Alberta Mann. Oh, speaking of the Manns, da 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 And my mind runs to something else. And, but my brain is still just listing off these names. And I'm kind of just rehearsing, but I'm not engaged in the actual request as I give it. Again, none of you probably know what I mean. Okay, that's never happened to you. Okay. But that's not continuing instant. Continuing instant is I'm really focused. Okay. Continuing instant for me is like in a service when we do the prayer time. The pastor that I grew up under, that, that I got saved under, and then I got called to the ministry, when he would finish his service, okay, he had to finish at 12 noon because we were on radio, live radio. So he had to get done. But if he wasn't done... He would close the service and pray because of the public audience on the radio. And then he would continue his message while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. He would pray us through the rest of his message. So without exception, his prayers at the end of the service would be 10 to 15 minutes long. None of you would have this issue, I'm sure. I would drift. My mind would go everywhere else. I would be thinking about, you know, my car, my clothes, my school, 
you know, all, all different types of stuff. We weren't dating, so she wasn't in my thoughts. Um, so there would be all, I wasn't continuing instant along with prayer. Has that ever happened that your mind drifts while we're praying in the worship service? That's not continuing instant. And so what we need to do is per- fervently persistent in our prayer life. Who should we pray with? Ah, oh, this one's an easy one. If two or three shall gather together on earth, touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. And so what's... V- <coughs> Excuse me. Cough drop. Um, well, clearly we're to pray with other, other believers. Clearly whatever the number, we don't have to have big numbers to be effective in our prayer. It's, you can even be two or three. By the way, let's never run away with this passage. We've got to stop people running with this text to say, oh, anytime we get together, we're a church. Where there's two or three, we form the ch- uh, a new church. No. In fact, that text comes out of a passage that talks about a bigger body already and says if just two or three of you have gone to talk to Lou, thanks Lou for being front, okay, gone to talk to Lou and you're praying for Lou to get recovered where two or three are gathered. I'm in the midst to help work in his heart. And so this isn't saying, okay, we can dissect and become little, little groups of church every time we get together. It's the idea that when we get together to pray for some really serious matters, like even recovering somebody, two or three of us together can be as effective as two or three hundred, that God can answer those prayers. So, how should we pray? Let's hit, let's hit it in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Man, you guys are really attentive, or you're falling asleep. Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound. Alms is giving monies out to help out charitable. He goes, don't be as the hypocrites. We're going to jump down now to verse 5. When you pray... You shall not pray as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Fairly I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into that closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to the Lord which is in secret, and the Lord which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard because of their much speaking." Be not ye therefore like unto those hypocrites, those them. For your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. Isn't that interesting? God knows what we have need of before we ask, so why bother? Because, he says, you still have to make that utterance of dependence. After this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. So we look at this and we say, okay, this teaches us as a model as an example of what we should pray for. What does it mean when he says, Our Father in heaven? What does that tell you when it comes to how we should pray? Anything? Okay, we're praying to a father. What somebody there's worship involved? Okay. What's that? Reverence? Anything else? You're teaching this to a new convert. You gotta, you gotta better understand yourself. What is? What did he mean? This is my model. All those things so far are accurate. 
Anything else that strikes you with our Father in heaven? Go ahead, Cindy. He's holy? Okay. Oh, okay. God is, God is an entity in heaven distinct and apart from uh, earth. Now, now, would that be challenging to some people in Jesus' day? Because they thought God was the wood, the trees, the glen, the dale. Okay, so we have all that. So what it means is that our prayer should be God-centered, like you guys said. Our prayer begins with the proper relationship with God. In order to pray, he's got to be your father. You have to have a relationship. Okay, Jesus stresses the idea that our father cares, that he listens. So in the aspect of prayer, he's in heaven, he's holy, all those things. Keep adding all of that. You know, all of what you said was excellent. So we're, we're coming and we're saying, okay, he as a father wants and cares for me. That has to be in my mind. He as a father is in heaven and holy. He as the father, I have a relationship with him. Let's, let's pick the next phrase, okay? Um, oh, oh, in Matthew 7 where Jesus is teaching this, do you remember what he does in verse 11? In you're right nearby. He, he says, if you who are fathers, in you who are, being evil means you're sinful, you're weak, okay, uh, by nature. You know how to give good gifts to your kids, which is true. Most, most, you know, this is true of almost everyone, if not everyone in this room. You know how as a, even despite your sin nature, you provide for your family. You care for them. You try to give good gifts. He says, if your earthly fathers give good gifts, try to help out. Then what does that mean about your Heavenly Father? Well, our Heavenly Father will do much better for us. And so that whole concept of He's caring, He is involved is very important. What's it mean, hallowed be thy name? Hallowed be thy name. That aspect of this prayer, what does that tell you? Okay, He's holy. What about when you pray? How does hallowed be your name, how should that show up in your prayer? What's that? Okay, the attitude of submission, good. Anything else? Okay, the glorifying of God. I think, I think that's pretty much... Okay, when we, when we pray, there should be an aspect of worship. When we pray, if he's giving us the example, part of our worship, should our, our prayer, shouldn't be just to run in and say, hey God, here I am, give me this. And then run right back out the door. There should be time where we take moments to want to exalt him, praise him, express thanksgiving. Yes? Does that always happen? Okay. Uh, We should reflect on God himself during some of our prayer time. Okay. It means that we should praise God for who he is. What, he's revu- what his name, by the way, his name is the idea of his character, his personality, every aspect of him. And so, in fact, God has names, does he not? Multiple names through scripture. So that tell about who he is. So praying to God, hallowed be our name, uh, name, it's really important in our own prayer life because when we come and we say, okay, this prayer is to you, and I want to make sure I, that you are exalted and glorified. And I want to thank you for your majesty. How does that impact you personally when you start praying about things? You've already set him up that this is all about him. 
and I'm supposed to be worshiping him. So then when you, when you have that setting the stage, it is just an amazing thing. Now we could go in and we can talk about all the different things that God, and you have a whole listing in your book, a whole listing of different things that the psalmist thanked God for, his goodness, his forgiveness, his mercy in this text, his power, his compassions, his long-suffering. Look at the passage. You, you got this. This is, this is material that you can read and you say, okay, yes, I can give. And, and if you and I stop and pray this way on a daily basis, my word, we're taking time to worship and magnify God Almighty. It's amazing. We can look at another passage. The Lord is merciful and gracious. So he's talked. He took the moment. He says, I'm going to talk about God's lavishing grace and mercy upon me. We have this passage that talks about God. This is one of the neatest passages in the, old, in the Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, heals our diseases, redeems our life from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness and mercies, who satisfies our mouth with good things. So so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. We don't talk this way, but people living in a wilderness, this was a fabulous, fabulous conversation they're having with God, talking about all of his greatness. Praise the Lord, give thanks. He is good. His mercy endures forever. Again, we're talking and reflecting upon his greatness, his goodness. In that same Psalm 103, he deals not with us after our sins. Oh, thank, he, thank God he doesn't. Or rewards us according to our iniquities. And so you talk about all the great things. Now, when you jump to the New Testament... Just, just for a thought, in Acts chapter 5, anybody close by? Acts chapter 5, they thank God for something. And, if you, and this is amazing, not just all the good things that God gives, but in Acts 5, what did the New Testament believers, when they gather together and they're praying, anybody have the text, can look at it and say, this is what they thanked God for? Anybody have it? They have just been beaten They've just been, been persecuted. Their Jewish leaders have just, have just afflicted pain and whipping upon the disciples. What do they thank God for? They were worthy to what? To suffer. They thank that they were worthy to suffer for Christ. That's unusual. Do you have the text in Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1, he writes these words, and he's writing to the believers, and when he writes to them, he says he is thankful for something. It's interesting. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of, my, of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. What does he thank God for? Paul thanks God for a Christian fellowship. Other saints who weren't perfect. Man, he's thanking for them. But he knows that they got problems. Yodius and Syntyche are going to have a problem. They're still fighting it out. But he thanks God for them, for the fellowship and the growth that they had. In James chapter 1, he says, When you fall into diverse temptations, count it... Okay, so we're rejoicing again for personal troubles and problems. Which, by the way, if any of you ever have them... okay. There's something we're to be grateful for. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, 18, this passage is, uh, is a classic passage where he says, Rejoice evermore. He gives that concept. Oops, I'm in 2 Thessalonians. Um, he says, Rejoice evermore in everything. Or, uh, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give. Okay, for this is the... Will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. So, we got all these things that we should be thankful for. Let, let's explore, okay, a little bit more. What does it mean when you pray, when he says pray like this, your kingdom 
come. What does that mean? What would you be praying for? Are we praying for the Lord to return? Is that a possibility? Sure. Okay, anything else? What's that? The riddance of sin? The cha- oh, yeah. Wouldn't you like that? I don't know about you. Would you be, would you be excited that all, if all of a sudden we had no more sin around us? Okay, the temptation around us? That'd be fabulous. Okay. Okay. Is there, is there that idea that we are supposed to live in a way that reflects the uh, lordship of Jesus Christ in our own lives? Okay. Okay. I'm going to expand that to even include this. That kingdom aspect is is obviously his perfect his perfect environment, his kingdom that is a physical kingdom. For people to be able to be in that heavenly kingdom, what must they do? John chapter three. Okay. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter, okay? And so we should be praying that we have that sensitivity to his lordship now. We should pray for the expansion of a gospel message that would help to save Israel to be in that kingdom. A gospel message that would help that we are at that wedding feast as well and a whole lot of other people that would be engaged. And so do you pray in this aspect for his rule and reign to be in your life, do you pray for his rule and reign to spread into the lives of other people that they would one day be in his heavenly kingdom? Your will be done here on earth. Okay, isn't that, that's pretty self-explanatory. We need to learn to pray in agreement with his will. We should pray for others too to submit to the will of God. Okay, that's pretty clear. Let's do this one. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this teach you that you can do in your prayers? What? Okay, is it okay to pray for you? Is it okay to pray for your things that you need? Yeah, yeah, it's not being selfish. It's not, you know, I I've hear this frequently. People say, well, I, I don't pray for my prayer list because then I feel like I'm just praying for me. Okay, if you don't pray for you... Uh, he's telling you, you can pray for you, okay, while you pray for others. So believers are to recognize that God is the provider. We should ask God for what you need and trust him to provide. Express our total dependence upon him for every aspect of our life. It's okay to pray for your own physical needs. Pray specifically for items you may need on a daily basis. Remember and claim his promise, my God shall supply all your need. So all these concepts of praying, let's just wrap up here with another thought, okay? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is this, when he uses forgive us our debts, is he talking about your mortgage? No, no. What's he talking about? Yeah, sins against other people. So obviously we're talking about confession of sin is involved with prayer. That needs to be done on a regular basis, not just once in a great while. Our fellowship with God and with, the, with others impacts our prayer life because if I'm not right with Deb, I cannot expect God to be answering. My prayers will be hindered. Um, we recognize our extending forgiveness to others impacts our receiving forgiveness from God. Woo, that gets hard. 
But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father. Okay, so Jesus gives this prayer. And the problem is, we in our day have taken it to be a rote prayer. Do churches do this? Let's just, let's everybody pray the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom to come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Amen. Some of you are saying, I didn't say it right. I said it the way I learned it. Okay. And so we say prayers sometimes that are rote. Okay. And we say, that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't. I agree with you. But some of us go to this passage and we don't explore it to say, what is there? Okay, what does it teach me? How should I pattern my prayer? Do any of you follow anachronisms, for instance, on prayer? Like A-C-T-S? What's the A? What's the C? T? And then S? Okay, any of you have a different, a different anachronism that you use? That's similar. Sandy, were you going to say? You use your hand? I know people in Michigan use their hand to show where they're at. How do you do this with prayer? Okay. Okay. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Ask her. She, if you didn't hear, that using the position of the, her various fingers on hand to just identify different people she's praying for. Cool. That's what he's getting at, is this idea of have something systematically that you're doing in your prayer life so you do worship, do confess, and it doesn't just become run in and run out. Speaking of running in and running out, let's do that as we get ready for worship so that when we come to worship, we're focused. Thanks.